Engaging sermons on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. She was being built up and walked in the fear of the Lord. And with the consolation of the Holy Spirit, she grew in numbers. As Peter was passing through every region, he went down to the Holy Ones living in Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been confined to bed for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. He got up at once, and all the inhabitants of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was completely occupied with good deeds and almsgiving. Now during those days, she fell sick and died. So after washing her, they laid her out in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs, where all the widows came to him weeping and showing him the tunics and cloaks that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. Then he turned to her body and said, Tabitha, rise up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. And when he had called the holy ones and the widows, he presented her alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many came to believe in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he has done for me? How shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he has done for me? How shall I make a return to the Lord? The cup of salvation I will take up and I will call on the Lord's name. How shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he has done for me? My vows to the Lord I will pay in the presence of all his people. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. How shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he has done for me? O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I will offer sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. How shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he has done for me? The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Many of the disciples of Jesus who were listening said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? 
what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said thus, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer walked with him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Raising of the Dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and in so doing, he overcame the entire kingdom of death. He overcame your death. As a result of Easter, your death is no longer the end of your life. It is an important transition, but it is not the end of your existence. It is a death now that you can experience in union with Jesus Christ, and you have been united with him in your baptism, so that just as he was raised from the dead, you too might have a new life. Starting now, by the way, our new life in Christ, our eternal life, does not simply start after we die. It starts while we live. And we cannot take hold of heaven after we die unless we take hold of it while we live. And we take hold of it by faith and baptism. Jesus Christ is living in you. He is living in us. He is risen, and his risen life is poured out on us. Now, this is why he raised the dead, as we heard in, uh, as we hear in various gospel passages, and why even his disciples, both Peter, as we hear in today's first reading, and also Paul, as we read later in the Acts of the Apostles, both raised the dead. He told his apostles they would have power to do that. And we see it happening in Scripture even before the coming of Christ and fully in anticipation of him. We see in the Old Testament both the prophets Elijah and Elisha raising the dead. Let's review, in fact, the circumstances where this happened and look again at the reason why it happened. So going back into the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah was called by God to help a widow in Zarephath. Remember, he, uh, he uh, made the, the bread and the oil sustain them, even though they were about to run out of food. The woman and her son were sustained through the word of Elijah the prophet. Well, after a while, the son became ill and died. Elijah raised him from the dead. We read that in the first book of Kings in the uh, 17th chapter. Then his successor, Elisha, 
had a similar experience. There was a Shunammite woman that he was sent to help. She and her husband were advanced in age. He promised them they would have a son. And then the son got sick and died. Elisha the prophet put himself over the body and raised that boy from the dead. We read this in the second book of Kings in chapter 4. Then, of course, there is another interesting story. Elisha even raised someone from the dead after he himself had died. Uh, There's a story in the second book of Kings. Let me just read a a, a little bit of the passage of chapter 13. Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to raid the country every spring. Once, when some Israelites were burying a man, Suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. But when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood on his feet. So we have Elijah and Elisha raising the dead, Elisha even raising the dead after he died. And then, of course, we have the stories of Jesus raising the dead. And we see three of them uh, described in detail in the Gospels. First, there's the son of of the widow. See, again, we see a pattern, don't we? We have the son of the widow uh, of Zarephath, whom Elijah raised from the dead, and now a son of a widow in a a town called Nain, N-A-I-N, that Jesus encountered as he was going into that town. And he stopped the, 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 the funeral procession and told the man to get up, and he got up. He was raised, and he gave him back to his, uh, his mother, the widow of Nain. Then a synagogue official approached him, uh, a man by the name of Jairus, and his daughter was critically ill. Jesus was a a little distance away from the house, and the the synagogue official said, please come quickly, my daughter is is dying. While Jesus was still at a distance, the, the news came that the daughter had died, but Jesus went anyway, and he said, stop weeping and wailing, she's only asleep. They ridiculed him. But then he went in, and he said those Aramaic words, Talitakum, little girl, arise. And she rose from the dead. Then, of course, even more well-known, the story of the raising of Lazarus, very dramatic in John chapter 11. He goes to the tomb. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Jesus himself rose. And on the day that he died, actually, and this is one of the many indications in Scripture that life comes from that tree of the cross. The tree of the cross becomes the tree of life. The day Jesus dies becomes the day that the people of life are born. When Jesus dies, Matthew's Gospel tells us there's an earthquake. Boulders split. Tombs opened, and it says many of the saints rose from the dead that good Friday afternoon and appeared to many in the city. And then we come to the book that we read from today, the Acts of the Apostles, which gives us, as the title says, the the things the apostles did and taught and preached and, and, and activated the churches. Uh, after the resurrection and after Pentecost. 
Both Peter and Paul raised someone from the dead. The Peter story we heard today, the woman Tabitha or Dorcas in the town of Joppa. And then, later in the Acts of the Apostles, there's, a, there's a, some humor to this story too. Paul is preaching and uh, there's a young man, he's preaching at night, and he's got this group gathered together, there's a young man sitting on the window windowsill, and Paul, the, the, chapter, the passage says, was preaching for a very long time, and the boy was getting sleepy, and the passage says, as Paul talked on and on, the boy fell asleep completely, fell out the window from the third story and uh, was dead, Paul goes over to him, puts himself on the boy, again, reminiscent of these other instances uh, in the Old Testament, and says he is alive and restores the boy. That's the boy named Eutychus. So we have these instances. Now, one might say, well, what's the purpose of, of this? So first of all, these people, of course, came back to this life, except for Jesus himself, he rises to a new and everlasting life. The raising of the dead, these other people, restores them to the life they had before. They still had to die later on. But in the general resurrection, we will all share in that risen life in the body that is no longer subject to death. Okay. But why did Jesus raise some of these people or the prophets or his, his uh, disciples like Peter and Paul? Because, and these passages tell it to us, as today's does, it was for increasing people's faith in Jesus. The passage today finishes by saying this, this raising of uh, Dorcas, became known all over Joppa. And many came to believe in the Lord. It wasn't just to do a good deed for the family. Same thing when you see the raising of Lazarus. Jesus said, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? It wasn't just to do a good deed for a family that was grieving. Raising the, the son of the widow of Nain. It wasn't just to comfort her. Raising the daughter of Jairus, it wasn't just to do a good deed for him, that synagogue official. All of this was to point to Jesus and say, have faith in him and you will experience the resurrection to a life that never dies. Have faith in him because he conquers the entire kingdom of death. And this is why, this, is, this explains why he didn't just go around raising up everybody. You're going to do a good deed. Why exclude some people? No, it's about faith, brothers and sisters. And it's about the ultimate victory over death. And that's why we're pro-life. That's the foundation. I mean, we're pro-life because it's, it's clear from human reason that the baby in the womb is a human being. It's clear from human reason that we can't have a civilized society unless we protect everybody. People's right to life has to be secure. And it's also clear to human reason that unless your life is secure, then neither are any of your other rights. The right to education and health care aren't much good if a person's life is taken away in the womb. And although we know these things from human reason, as people of faith, our commitment to life 
is energized beyond measure by the fact that death itself has been conquered in Jesus Christ. So when we're fighting abortion, we're fighting the power of death. And when we're fighting the power of death, we have to realize that it has already been conquered in Christ. Now, the battle we're undergoing is still real because people are really threatened, people are really dying, violence is really happening. But the ultimate outcome of the battle has been decided. This is like fighting against the echoes of a defeated kingdom. And the killing that takes place by abortion, and nothing destroys more human life, by the way, is wrapped in error and falsehood and lies. Jesus said it in John chapter 8. The devil is both a liar and a murderer because you can't continue all the murdering, especially on such a massive scale as abortion, without cloaking it in lies, pretending a baby isn't a baby, pretending abortion doesn't do the harm that it does, pretending that an act of violence is health care, pretending that a destructive act is a constitutional right, etc., etc. It's all cloaked in lies. And by the way, this Supreme Court decision that was leaked from Justice, uh, uh, written by Justice Alito, overturning Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, destroys the lies of those abortion decisions. It's interesting that in the opening prayer today, we prayed that we, the faithful, will resist the onslaught of error. Did you notice that phrase in the opening prayer? The onslaught of error. And this week we see the onslaught of error. Those who are so upset that Roe v. Wade is being overturned, and it certainly looks like that's what the court is about to do when the official opinion comes out. They are going crazy, and it's an onslaught of error. They want to perpetuate the lie that abortion is some kind of constitutional right. They want to, they want to keep deceiving people into thinking that somehow abortion is good or somehow it solves a problem. It doesn't. And yet they want to push this down people's throats that, it, that it's good. Brothers and sisters, they even want to intimidate the justices by going to their private residences, and they want to intimidate believers by going to their churches. The pro-abortion advocates are planning disruption of church services uh, during this weekend. Why are they doing that? See, they try to say, oh, people are on our side. Oh, this is settled law. Oh, the people are with us. You people are in the minority. Well, then what are they worried about? Why are they behaving as though the sky is falling if they're in the majority and it's settled law and everybody agrees with them or most people agree with them? No, they don't really believe that. That's the problem. And they don't really believe that their position has any merit or is persuasive. Because if they really believed that their position in favor of abortion were persuasive, then they would go persuade people. And then they would say, okay, well, if the court reverses Roe v. Wade, we can still persuade the legislators to pass laws like New Jersey did, like Colorado did, like many, uh, many other states do. Oh, New York, allowing abortion throughout pregnancy, we'll just persuade the lawmakers and they'll pass those laws and we'll persuade the voters, because our position is so persuasive, we'll persuade the voters 
And, well, they'll keep electing the pro-abortion politicians. Why don't they take that approach? If they're going to protest, they can protest. Why can't they protest in front of state capitals where the laws are actually made? The churches aren't making the laws. The legislators are. The Supreme Court is not saying now that the pastors write the laws. It's saying the legislators do, which is what the Constitution already says. So you see how sick these pro-abortion supporters are, how misguided. And of course, the reason that they want to attack the church is the same reason we read in the Gospels that there are those, when the light comes into the world, the light who is Jesus Christ, who conquers death, when the light comes into the world, some prefer the darkness. Some hate the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so not only do they run away from the light, they try to snuff it out. They want to try to intimidate not only the justices, and again, if their position is so persuasive, they shouldn't have to intimidate, just persuade. But it's not persuasive to make the case that it's okay to kill babies, nor is it persuasive to argue that it's a constitutional right. But they want to intimidate not only the justices, but the believers. Because we are the ones who advance the light of life. We are the ones who stand against the onslaught of error that that opening prayer referred to. We are the ones who stand against it. And we are the ones who proclaim that in Christ, indeed, the victory of life is won and it's definitive. Praise God. Let us continue to live this Easter life. Let us continue to proclaim the gospel of life. Let us continue without fear, without intimidation, to bring all the sectors of our society and all our public policies into line with the fact that life is sacred, that life is victorious, that life is always to be welcomed, preserved, protected, and celebrated. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.